Um, this uh, chapter, we've, we've finally got to uh, day two last week, and uh, we're going to get to day three this, this week. We're going to get all the way through day three. I was going to go into day four, but I thought, there's so much good stuff that happens on day three that I think we'll just take each day as it comes. And so we're, we're, uh, we're going to do 9 through 13 today, Genesis 1, 9 through 13, but we're going to refer to the whole section beginning in Genesis 2 verse 1, 1 verse 1, and uh, after we pray, we'll, we'll read through that and, and make our application for our study tonight. So let's ask God's blessing on his word. Father, we are so grateful that we have your word, and I'm thankful, Lord, that right now I get to share the wonderful things that, that I've discovered, some for the first time. Uh, Lord, the wisdom that you've given, uh, different uh, authors and pastors and commentators, as well as you give to me by the Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, as we read your word, that those things would really spill out into uh, the congregation tonight, and that each believer here would have even a greater view of, of your power, your sovereignty, your, 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 the, the immensity of your power, Lord. I pray that we would grasp it just ever so much more, and that we would respond by, by saying that you have all things under control, that, that the little things in our life are, are all, you're able to control all of those things. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through the word you've already spoken, and that you would teach us tonight. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're going to begin in verse 1, but here's my little subtitle. Day 1, we've already done day 1, but here it is. Day 1, verses 1 through 5, light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So you have this Hebrew term that I'm teaching you, Rafshim, Elohim, Barah, in the beginning, God, plural, created ex nihilo from nothing, and then the first day. So his spirit is hovering over. He's, he, he begins, and, and as we go through each day, you'll see how God refines, refines, refines. Today, or day three, the, the study of day three tonight, you'll see how he refines the earth and separates land and water. But the first day, his spirit is hovering. His light illuminates. His, he's made matter. That's, that's what he's made. In the beginning, God created, and so he's made matter. Now he's going to form it all into what we know as the cosmos or the universe. Day one, light. Day two, separation of water. Here it is, verse six. Then God spoke, or he said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God, verse 8, called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Now the word firmament in the Hebrew, as I've already mentioned, is the word rakia in the Hebrew. It means expanse, or in this case, spread out thinness. And so God comes in on this second day. He has this mass of, of, of material, mainly water. Remember, his spirit is hovering over water. So he's creating the earth right now. He's focused on that. So you have this blob of, of, of dirt and heat and water and chemistry, all the elements that, that comprise our known world. And it's all just kind of boiling, I guess. And he hovers over it and he makes light. And then he separates it. So there's this, this knife that kind of comes in, this spiritual knife that comes in and it just slices this rakia, this thinness, and separating the water below that's going to comprise the water on the planet with the water above. 
That, that's what he's doing. He's, separate, he's making a separation, or what we know as our atmosphere, the part that we breathe, and then the outer atmosphere that we can't breathe, and then the upper atmosphere that, that we, the cosmos and the stars and the, uh, the sun exist in, that what we know as the heavens. Not the third heaven where God dwells, but the heavens that hold the stars and all the galaxies that we can see uh, tonight on a crisp, cold night. When you go outside, you'll look up and you'll see stars. And when I, when I get, finally get home up in the mountains, it's even clearer up there, less light, and we see even more. We see the Milky Way. I see the Milky Way all the time. Magnificent, the, the number of stars. But that's what he's talking about. He separates the water down below from the, the water up above. And we see, and I taught last week about how the water that he made in our atmosphere, like a protective blanket, and it protects us from gamma and ultra rays and all these different rays that are coming and bombarding the earth. And that's why you have animals that live so long, and that's why people live so long. They're not bombarded with all this radiation. And there's this protective, wonderful, misty cloud that's around, that's surrounding the, the earth that's right now just water. There's water on the planet, and there's water in the sky, and it's separated the firmament. That's what he's talking about, the expanse or the heavens. That's what that is all about. Now, remember, I told you this is the historical account. It's not a scientific account of creation. It's God's historical account of creation. And as we read this, every time I study this, I, I think I become a little bit better worshiper every time. Because as I look at this, I just, I just, I am awestruck at God's power and his ability. And what he does when he speaks, boom, it all happens. Talk about a big bang. God speaks and boom. And so God's power is immense in here. It's awesome in here. Now, last week I talked to you about using that phrase when it comes to Starbucks coffee or something else, awesome, or your cake or your favorite cookie that we're going to have in the bookstore. They're good. They're not awesome. God is awesome. And, and there's some other word, you know, don't ever refer to God as the man upstairs or the old guy with a beard, you know, up, up there. He's looking out over me. That's... That's so irreverent to see God that way. God is awesome. He's beyond anything you can imagine. His power is, is, is immense. I found in one commentary this word. I don't know if you use this word, but listen to this one. Ineffable glory. Think about that. God is ineffable glory, and he dwells, and he dwells in unapproachable light. We see that in the scriptures. Look at this verse behind me, Hebrews 12, for our God is a consuming fire. And just to give you an example of that, I, I want to get you stoked on the power of God tonight. You know this verse or this portion of the scriptures, Isaiah. Isaiah in chapter 6 has an encounter with God. Now, no one has ever looked at God and lived. No one. In fact, when Moses wrote this, when God was giving him all this information up there on the mountain, he had to shield, God had to shield Moses from being around him because he knew that, that his, his consuming fire would just eliminate the man, boom, because he's unrighteous and he's unholy. When we get to heaven, we're, we're righteous and holy. We can be in the presence of God because we, we have Christ's righteousness not our own, not our own flesh. Our flesh is left behind. It, it's so interesting. When you die, your body is buried. Some people are cremated. And the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise. In other words, will be translated, transformed, no more flesh, no more sin, and then we'll be in the presence of the Lord forever. But in our present condition, we can't be in God's presence. We would die, consumed, as, as it says in Hebrews. And Isaiah knew it. Isaiah was a righteous man. He was a great prophet. You can read, read the wonderful, large portion of Scripture that encompasses the major prophet Isaiah. In fact, Sunday nights, I'm thinking, when we finish the minor prophets here around May, we're going to go into Isaiah. I think we'll do a major prophet. So we'll be in Isaiah for five or six months on Sunday night. We've been studying the, the minor ones. But Isaiah, you remember this. In the year that King Isaiah died. Isaiah says this, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of the robe filled his temple. Above it 
stood seraphim, each had wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And then this verse behind me. And one cried to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. We are just looking at Genesis and we're seeing the power of God. And you should move from just reading and going, oh, that's cool, to saying, God is awesome. God is so awesome. And so just for the fun of it, and I think it'll set your heart ablaze tonight, I want to I just look at this verse, and I'm going to do what the angels did before Isaiah. When he saw the glory of God and the angels came around, this is what the angels were crying. They, they weren't just saying, holy, holy, holy. They were, holy, holy. And I want to do that with you because I, I think this is important. So beginning on the first holy, here we go. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's what the angels were saying. Isn't that a glorious thing? Let's fill up the angel stadium and let's say that together. Let's, let's fill up the largest stadium in America. In fact, this Sunday, there's going to be a lot of shouting at a football game, a little piece of leather, people watching, millions of people. And it's going to be loud there, right? Nothing compared to this. When we get to heaven and we're going to see the Lord on his throne and we're all going to just join with the angels and we're going, holy, God, you're so holy. He's not the old man with a beard. He's not the man upstairs. He's holy. And he's got power and he's creating and as the angels say this, let me finish this, Isaiah. Listen, as they say this, and the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so this is what Isaiah says. And I said, woe is me. I'm a dead man because I'm a man of unclean lips who dwell amidst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He thought he was dead. He knew that his unrighteousness could not match or stand up to the righteousness and holiness of God. And so we need to understand ineffable glory, unapproachable light, our God speaking everything into existence. So as we go through this story, I just really want you to get that. I think it'll just revolutionize your view of God. And if you're an old moldy Christian, if you've been around year after year, and I've heard it before, blah, 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 I'm just here because I like sitting next to Sarah and we talk about coffee afterwards. I hope that you read this and you go, wow, and it'll just open up your brain and your mind and, and you'll just see God as, as Isaiah saw him high and lifted up. I believe we need to understand how big and, God, how big and awesome God really is, and when we do, and see just a glimpse of his power, his sovereignty. We'll really want to worship him. Someone said this. My wife wanted me to share this again. I, I shared this with you last week, but she didn't get to write it all down. So here it is, hon. God is the only uncaused being who is in need of nothing or no one else. Think about that. That's, that's one of those like, wait, let me read that again. God is the only uncaused being who is in need of nothing or no one else. Think about that. He is, he is nothing like you or me. He is nothing like the most powerful man or woman that's ever walked this planet. He, he's not like us. He doesn't need us. And yet he chooses to build a universe to display his love and his grace and his power. Oh, it's, 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 beyond, it's beyond what you and I can think of. The world is a stage so that God can reveal his love it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And this whole book just talks about his love for people. He creates them. This world, as we get to day six, we're only going to do day four uh, tonight, or day three. We won't get to day four. That's the, the cosmos. We'll look at that next week. But by the time we get to day six and the crowning point of God's creation, which is man, you should be like, wow, holy, holy are you, Lord. God is so good and he's so great. So when God created the heavens and the earth, listen to this, he just simply acted. 
He just simply spoke. And that power that created the world moved. It's, it's, it's it just a mind blower. So think about it. God could have spoken the whole thing into existence with a single word, but he chose to do it in six days. That's what we're seeing, evening and morning, evening and morning. And that's why I've entitled each one of these days, day one, day two, just to really help you understand that. God is a God of order. He's always been that way. I'm going to show you that in this study as well. He's always done everything orderly. And he wants us to live our lives orderly. And so he gave us six days to work, one day to rest, just like he did. That was, he didn't need resting time, by the way. He did that as a pattern for our lives. Psalm 33, verse 6 and 9, I, I showed you this one last week. Read it with me. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the seas together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. That's a beautiful psalm. Okay, so now we're to day three. Day one, day two, day three, earth, water, and plants. That's really our topic tonight. Look at verse 9 with me. Then God said, here it is, he spoke again, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God spoke again here in verse 11. He spoke again, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind whose seed is inside, in itself, on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. So again, first day, God divides light from darkness, Darkness existed. God shines forth, and now there's light. Second day, God divides water from below and water up above. So we have this unformed earth. It's, it's starting to come together, but it's not doesn't really have a form yet at the end of day two. But there's water left on the earth and water that's above in that gaseous, atmosphere that's holding in all of the nutrients. Everything's growing really fast. You know, when you mold grows really fast in the warm, wet environment, well, God had this environment surrounding the earth, this blanket, and things grew really fast, and there was lots to eat there, and lots of plants and animals to eat it. Very interesting. And when we get to the flood, you're gonna, all this stuff's going to come rushing back to your mind. As we get to the flood, we're going to find millions of dead things buried in sedimentary layers all over the earth. From the lowest place in the sea to the highest mountain, you find these dead things everywhere. Not in just one little area. But they were deposited when there was this cataclysmic breaking apart of the world. We're going to look here. This is going to be real interesting. You're going to see, and, and we've already read, that that when God looked at the earth and he was brooding over it, and, and day three, he's molding it. He, first, he brings forth the water, and he puts this land mass, one, I truly believe, one continent in the middle. I'm going to show you a picture in a minute. But it's very interesting what he's doing here. Now, he's shaping everything. He's doing everything. And now we have this, this earth or solid ground. Again, God speaks. Reshith Elohim bara. Boom. I love that. He creates again. Dry land, verse 9, dry land appears in one place. Again, an amazing, powerful, intense moment. Again, all scientists can say is that it was a boom. There was a reaction. Bang. But it was God speaking that formed it. I, I love that thought. I, I just, God's epic act of creation here. Henry Morris, 
Henry Morris writes this, just a real quick quote. Great earth movements got underway. When God spoke, the earth began to move. Surfaces of solid earth appeared above the waters, and an intricate network of channels and reservoirs opened up in the crust to receive the waters retreating off the rising continent. The earth's underneath the water, right? Remember, it was water below and water above. And then now God brings the earth, the dirt, the earth from underneath. He brings it above the water. And so the water recedes really quick, running off and leaving mountain peaks and ravines and topography. And you've seen maps, right? You've seen maps of the topography of the earth, the high mountains and the low valleys, this, this water that's moving off. And we have this remnant there, this, again, this earth that's being formed and, and God is working in this powerful, wonderful way. Henry Morris goes on to say, he says, the reservoirs opened up and the crust received the waters retreating off the rising continent. Now, again, look at verse 9 with me. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. So you have all the waters on the world. You got to think of global, you know, look from the moon. You're looking at the earth right now, but it's all blue. It's just water. And God says, let the waters be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. So you have the dry land is going to come emerge out of the water that's on the planet. And that word gather together, very interesting, is the Hebrew word synagogue. Synagogue. Hear that word before? Synagogue? All it means is gathering place. It's where the Jews gather to worship God in the gathering place. And so here we have the waters. They're gathering together, synagogue. And this is, I love these words, pre-diluvial. That means before the flood. So all this stuff is happening before the flood. You've got to keep that in mind too. If you've read the Bible and you understand the flood, back up and don't, don't go there yet. Don't let your mind rush there. We're still creating. God's still creating the, the world. Everything is going to change again at the time of the flood. Right now, this land mass has come out of the water. So you have all the water together and all the land together. That's what verse 9 is describing. It's very interesting. This one continent, one power. I have a, oh, he put it up. Now, look at this. Does it look like some of these countries fit together, continents fit together? Isn't that interesting? You probably noticed that before, right? When you took your high school geography class and normally it's taught as evolution and over many millions of years, the tectonic plates, remember that term? You're getting a biology lesson, some of you. I was getting one today. And, and just the way they fit together and they pull apart and, and over, evolution says over millions of millions of millions of years, they pulled apart and separated. But I believe that God made this all together. I had another picture, but I, I, didn't, I didn't send it to him. So um, this just shows this, this mass of, of continents that we know now, how they could fit together. And at the time of the flood, everything broke apart. So you're getting a little bit of a future. We're going to get there soon. Oh, now he went to that picture before I even described it. He's trying to hurry me. So again, it just shows God's power when you think about those those continents close together. Now, look at this picture. Again, this is mountains buckling here. Now, when you remember, again, Geology 101, they talk about this separation and, and forces of heat from the center of the planet pushing up. But what a great picture here. This is in British Columbia. But you can see, in, in my thoughts would be, this could possibly be a section that was pushed up originally. And so God pushes up the earth above the water. And there's all kinds of geology that would prove that, some great upheaval. The crust and the mantle breaking apart, pushing up, and the water running quickly off of it. It's an epic moment, a powerful moment. Again, let me show you, like I did two weeks ago, using the scripture to describe creation. In Job 38... God asks Job a question. So let's turn to Job 38. Hold your place here and let's go to Job in your Bible. 
Job is, is uh, actually the oldest book of the Bible. Job 38, God is going to ask Job a question. But in asking Job a question, he reveals his creation. So turn to Job 38. We're going to start in verse 1. But as you're looking, just keep looking. You'll get there. Remember that Job had lost everything in his life. His family, all his children were were at a family retreat at a second home that Job owned. And there was a windstorm that came and knocked the house over, and all his children died. Job, he, he was a very honorable man. God loved Job, but his children died. His livestock and wealth were taken away from him. And then, to cap it all off, his health, his very health, remember he's sitting in a bunch of ashes with a piece of pottery scraping the boils off his skin. Remember the story. Job, he had lost everything. And as he's sitting there, he's asking God, you know, why? Why did this happen? And he actually, at the end of the book, he becomes a little unjust. He, he starts to, to blame God, like, God, why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this to happen to me? It's unjust, and there's no reason, and he had no hope, really. And then God comes to him in chapter 38. This is God. He's answering Job. And listen to God. God is not real happy with Job at this point. You'll hear it. Verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens the counsel by words without knowledge. Who are you asking me? God says to Job. You don't even know what you're talking about. Now prepare yourself, verse 3, like a man. I will question you, Job, and you will answer me. Verse 4, where, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? There's the fact that God created. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, hear the sarcasm in that? Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? Now, let me just stop there for a moment. God is being harsh with Job because Job is like, God, why'd you do this to me? And, and God's saying, you, can't, you don't question me. I'm sovereign, I have a plan, I have a purpose. Every one of us right now are going, we're, we're ducking because we've all questioned God, right? We're like, gee, I shouldn't have done that. But as God talks to Job and reveals to him, I believe he's revealing something else very important here. He's revealing that the world was created and it was, it's, it's, there's no evolution here in the Bible, none. I created it all, God is saying right here. Then in, in verse 7, this is a very interesting passage, and this is how we believe, or this is where we get a doctrine about angels. Look at verse 7. When the morning stars sang out, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And the morning stars there, that's a clear reference to angels. Scholars believe, and I certainly believe, I'm not a scholar, but I believe that angels were created before the earth was created. Before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God created angels. You could ask why. I think the answer is obvious, so that they could see the glory of God and they could worship him. God desires to be worshiped, and he creates the angels so they can watch and then worship him. And the morning stars, again, a reference to angels. So God created them earlier, and then the angels here, they witness the creation and they sing together, they sing a song, or better, that word sing is rendered ra, it's the Hebrew word ranan, it means rejoice. They rejoiced or they shout for joy or they were like going, wow, God, you're awesome. Look at what God is doing. Look at the power you have, oh God. That's what that means. And now here's the reference to day three back in Genesis where we're at. But look at verse 8 of Job 38. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? 
So it came from within. The earth came from within. The earth was surrounded by water. The dirt and rocks are inside. God, day three, they pop out of the earth. And then Job makes this comment, who shut the seas with doors, burst forth with the issue of the, from the womb. When I made its clouds, its garment, verse 9, and thick darkness, its swaddling band, that kind of the, the outer atmosphere all around the earth. Uh, when I fixed my limit for it, he's talking about the seas, and God limits the seas, and set bars and doors. When I said, this far you may come, but no further, and here your proud waves must stop. So there's the, the, the boundaries of the waters. There it is right there in Job. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Job, Job. Look what I did. All this, I created the shoreline. I created all the boundaries. And then he asks the question, have you commanded the morning since your days began? What can you create by just speaking, Job? I, Job is slinking in his chair as God's speaking to him. <laughs> I love this description. Verse 8, shut in the sea with doors. Again, that's the shoreline. And then verse 11, when I said this far you may come but no further, your proud waves must stop. Again, God tells the seas, you can't go beyond this limit. God spoke everything, but here he speaks the limits of the seas. Again, in my mind, I see waves crashing against rocks. It'd be great to have a video back there with waves just crashing against the rocks. Relentless seas just crashing against the rocks, but they're limited because God. Again, this is just another scripture confirming God's creative work. So back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 11. So now we're going to see the second stage of day three. Second stage of day three, God has created this one continent that will eventually break up. He's created it and pulled it right out of the, the seas. And now he creates, my next point, plants and trees. Verse 11, then God said, so he speaks again, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit. So two different things there, according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. So God speaks powerfully into existence, and God divides vegetation into two parts, plants and trees. Plants and trees is what he's creating here. And so you go, well, what's the difference? Well, here's the difference. All plants like grass have seeds. Notice behind me, this is just a cool picture of a dandelion. You probably have seen that, or a flower. And plants like grass, chew, you know, they, they give off seeds and they make a sneeze and they, the, the seeds are on the plant, on the outside of the plant, just like the dandelion. You, you've all done that, right? You pick it up. My, my dad used to, he had this, he had a dichondra lawn. When I was a little kid, the whole front yard was dichondra. Does anybody know what that is? Okay, so in San Bernardino, you could do that, right? And for the real proud homeowner, you could put dichondra in your, and it's really interesting grass. It grows with a stem and has a little cup on the top. Beautiful grass, but it's very touchy doesn't like freezing, it doesn't like bugs, it doesn't like, you had to be, so my dad was like real, and I'd go out there, I, I remember I was like six years old, I'd pick up a dandelion, and my dad just about yelled me off the block, because I was going to go, oh, I was going to blow the dandelions all over the dichondra lawn, can you imagine? So some of you that know all about dichondra, you know how violating you'd feel if somebody blew seeds all over your lawn. But, but here's the point, the, the two divisions here, we have plants, or grasses that have seed on the outside, and then trees or fruit that have seeds where? Look at this picture. Oh, he put it up already. Grapes, oranges, peaches, big seed in a peach, but the seed is on the inside. So here God is making this division here. That's what the scripture is saying. He's made this division where you have Fruit trees, specifically, he talks about fruit trees, but trees that have a seed on the inside, not on the outside, like plants 
and other vegetation, grasses, and those kinds of things. The distinction here is made by God. Verse 11 at the end there, whose seed is in itself. That's, that's what he's saying. Now, God made these fruit trees, in my belief or my opinion, for someone to eat them, if not animals for you and I. Do you guys like summer fruit, peaches and plums? Some of you get off on that stuff. My former pastor used to love plums. And whenever he had one at a staff meeting for lunch, we had staff meeting on Wednesday for lunch, and he'd have a plum. Seriously. He told you this, but he, I watched him do it. He'd get that plum, and he'd just rub it on his face. <laughs> he'd, <laughs> he'd just rub it on his lips and smell it. He, oh, he loved plums. I didn't like plums for some reason. I, I'm not into plums and apricot. Anything with fuzz on the outside. I, well, how do you put that in your mouth? Some of you love peaches and stuff, right? But, but the seed is inside and, and those fruits. And I believe God made fruit for you and me. He thought about this sweet fruit. Isn't it great? Doesn't it refresh you when you eat that stuff? And so God made that with you and I in mind. Grasses that make us sneeze and then fruit that we love to eat. It's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, creative stroke there that God has. So he speaks. And on day three, first we have land that emerges. And, and, and on land, it's not just going to be rocky. It's going to be soil. And in soil, you can put seeds. And in, with seeds and soil and a little bit of water, they grow, right? And so God, that's what God has done here. And he's made the ground first. So he's organizing, organizing. Over, hovering over the water, verse 2, and then creating the earth and dividing the atmosphere. And now dry land emerges and then plant life. So slowly but surely, God is organizing. It's, it's his way. He organizes. He's orderly God. And he's going from, from these plants to the more complex trees and their fruit. And everything is kind of growing, and, and God's intention is for higher life, like, like animals to eat the, the grass, like livestock. That's what they do. They just chew and eat grass. And for you and I, higher life, to eat uh, God's fruit from trees. Now, in verse 11, it says, plants yielding seeds. Notice that in verse 11, plants yielding seeds. And then again in verse 12, plants yielding seeds. Seeds, and if you jump all the way down to verse 29, go down to verse 29, plants yielding seed there. So why does God repeat that plants have seeds? Because in order for them to proliferate or reproduce, they have to have seeds. And this was God's intention again. He makes dry land, there's soil on the dry land, seeds, and seeds like the little dandelion I just showed you, they, they disperse, and then you have this proliferation or reproduction of, of all these plants or disbursement of all these plants. And I thought about seeds and how, you know, you can blow a seed and it floats, and I live in the uh, crest line, and we have cedar trees. They're real tall. They're 70, 80, 100 feet tall. And they drop their seeds. There are certain times of the fall that we get these seeds and they come spinning down out of the sky. It's almost like rain. The seeds are cedars. And then they, they sprout up everywhere in the middle of the street, little cedar plants, little cedar trees. But God has a way to distribute seeds. Maybe, maybe today you went out to get in your car and you looked through your windshield and there was a bird that had distributed a seed right on the front windshield of your car. But God has different ways to distribute seeds so that, that they would go all over. The, again, God created mature plants with seeds. They didn't evolve. And from this third day, we have seeds proliferating, reproducing, mature seeds. A great, another great point for creation versus evolution God spoke, and we're to understand that, that God, uh, when we see him speak each and every day, we're to understand this, that God is a personal God. He speaks. He speaks to you and I. He spoke everything into creation, but he speaks. We have this relationship with our God through his son, Jesus Christ. Really important for us to understand. God is not a cosmic force that we tap into. 
This week on Sunday morning, if you've already read ahead in Ephesians, you'll know that, that we're going to get that section where we're to be not filled with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and, the, and the, the fact that the Holy Spirit makes us one with the Father and he communicates through us and we communicate to God through the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a beautiful relationship we have with God. But it's, God is a personal God. God speaks, he sees, and listen to this, he makes value judgments about what he has just made. Seven times in Genesis chapter 1, we see, and God saw that it was good. It was good. That was his value judgment upon his creation. God is not an impersonal God. He didn't start everything like you wind your watch and walk away from the universe. There are those that believe that. Very liberal churches teach that. God isn't really anywhere to be found. We can just kind of live our lives, and if we do good, if we're good enough, we'll go to heaven. I believe that God's a personal God. He's speaking everything into existence, and he wants to have that relationship with you and I. So he's speaking and making a judgment. It's good, it's good, it's good. Now, again, this whole focus on chapter one is that God is preparing the earth. He's preparing it for man. He's making everything good or complete to benefit you and I. This whole world is ours. It's our Father's world, but He's created it for us to enjoy, to live in, to prosper in. And when you think about God and His power and how He's made everything, and that He's made it for you individually, and He speaks and He wants to have a relationship with you personally, what an awesome God! Why not know him? Why not discover who he is? Why not read the scriptures and, and, and he'll reveal all who he is to you? So, again, we have God making everything, especially for us. Now, there's a little phrase in verse 12. That when the seed grows, it always grows after its own, what? Kind. My next point Seed according to its kind. Look at verse 12. And the earth brought forth grass. So here's the proliferation. Here's the reproduction. The herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is inside according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, this same phrase, according to its kind, is repeated over and over. If you look at the end of verse 11, it says it there. And that phrase, according to its kind, it's repeated 10 different times in Genesis chapter 1. The word for kind in the Hebrew is me'in. Me'in is the Hebrew word. And we have an English word we use, genus, genus, that refers to categories or kinds of plants or kinds of animals. And so, this word, kind, has to do with a class of things or the common characteristics or a family of or a group of. That's, that's what the word is referring to. In the case of seeds, a certain kind of seed refers to a, the group of, of that organism belonging to the same pool, the same gene pool. When you take a seed, that's a lemon seed, and you plant it in the ground, it's not going to produce a fig tree because it's a lemon seed. It has certain genetic characteristics and structure, and science now is able to define that with DNA. How do you say that? Dionexochloride? I can't remember. It's a long word, DNA. And thank you. There's one scientist here. And uh, th within that code, that defines the kind. And that's what he's saying here, that each seed is going to reproduce after its own kind. Another plant of the same size or color. A tree can only produce something of its own kind, height and shape. And that's all because of its genetic code. Its genetic code will not allow it to be a different kind. That's the point. And a true science, true science, when you study it and when you look at genetic code, true science 
and genetic laws argue against evolution. It, it just, random doesn't happen. Kind happens. Same, after its own kind. That's, God made this law, and he set the parameters. And it doesn't matter who you are as a scientist, you're never going to change it. That God has set it all up. Now, we can, we can change little bits and little pieces and add this and add that. So we still have the same kind. We still have corn. It might be genetically engineered so it can handle drought or it can withstand mold, but it's still corn. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? It's still the same kind. That's what God's saying. I read this today. Fish produce fish. Spiders produce spiders. Dogs produce dogs. And you can have all kinds of different fish. There are thousands of different spiders. And if you've ever watched the Yukonuba dog show once a year on the Home and Garden channel, you see all the funny-looking dogs. And one becomes the dog of dogs in America, you know, and they give them all kinds of money. This dog. There's all kinds of different varieties, but they're still dogs. That's the point. The sparrow cannot produce a cow. A fish cannot produce a horse. Within the various kinds, there's room for, for development within that kind and some variation in that kind. There can be a small change in there, but there cannot be a turning of one kind into another. Why? Because God set the limits. And he says it right here in the scriptures. Now, all that to say this, everything God created was purposeful and complete. God did not breathe upon the formless void only to produce protoplasm that he hoped after millions and millions of years being shook up and, and, and gamma ray and, and heat and cold would turn into a higher form of life and obviously come out of the sea, eventually turn into an animal and then stand upright and become an ape and then a man. I mean, think how ludicrous that is. That has nothing to do with the scripture. If the one in a billion chance it did occur, as evolutionists suggest, where are the mutation of the species that changed? Where are they? You don't find them. They're nowhere to be found. And they'll never be found. They're not found in the fossil record. Minor adaptations, but never a change in kind. Remember the video I showed you about three weeks ago? And the scientists and the change of kind. Doctor, physicist, astrophysicist, geologist, where's the change of kind? And I don't make fun of academia. I'm glad we have those scientists out there, but they cannot find it. There is no uh, uh, evidence for a change of kind. Creation says that God spoke. And light was, God spoke, and the waters were separated. God spoke, and the landmass came out of the water. From the tiniest insect to the largest whale, think about that. God created it all. It's fantastic. Henry, or Harry, pardon me, Blamires writes this. He's, this guy's brilliant. I, I read a page of his, and I go, oh, Lord, I need a break. But this is what he says. There is nothing vague about the biblical account of creation. The orderliness of all creation shows us not only that God is orderly, but also that he wants us to live orderly, purposeful lives. I like that. I think it's a classic comment. 1 Corinthians 14.33, Paul writes, For God is not the author of confusion. God is always orderly in everything that he does. And then verse 40 of 1 Corinthians 14 says, let all things be done decently and in order. That includes in our lives, includes in our church. So again, let's review real quick. Day one, light. Day two, separation of water. Day three, earth, water, and plants. We just looked at that. And God speaks in these plants and, and the, kind, the different kinds, seeds. And in between each day, remember, there's evening and morning. Look at verse 5, God called the light day, the darkness he called night, evening and morning. The first day, verse 8, God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Verse 13, so the evening and the morning were the third day. Our awesome and powerful God created everything in our known universe in six solar days. There's no way that you could wedge unless you put it there on your own. 
evolution in Genesis chapter 1. Again, let me give you one quick closing proof text here. Exodus 20, you know the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, God gives to reinforce his creation. Look what he says, Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord said, bless the Sabbath day and hallow it. We are to hallow that day. Now, not a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm not a radical. You have to worship God on Sunday. You do need to worship God one day. Work six days and worship God one day. That's what the Scriptures tell us to do. So if some, some of you worship on Wednesday night. Some of you worship on Sunday or Sunday night. But make sure and do that and honor the Lord. But even in Exodus, six or wait, <laughs> six days. We're on day three. I'm still in my mind, day three. Next week, Next week, we're going to go to day four. And this is interesting. Day four, he's going to make the sun, moon, and stars. Day three, did I hold four fingers up? Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Day three, (laughs) on day three, he made plants. Plants need, in order to live and exist, photosynthesis, the sun. Sun wasn't made till the fourth day. Another great evidence that six solar days. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you teach us from the word. Father, I just pray that this evening, that if anyone here has a a low view of you and your power and your awesome ability, your ineffable glory, that you would heighten that through our knowledge of these verses that we've read. Lord, you are awesome. And I know that there are some in this room that have personal struggles, financial struggles, relational problems. There are physical issues. And yet, God, you know all those things. And you have all power and authority. And you'll never leave us. All of that power is right there for us as we look to you. And as you will, Lord, you bring healing, you bring rain, it falls on the just and the unjust. You you do what you will in your sovereign way. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us as your people, not trusting you. Forgive us for being overwhelmed with, with our small issues compared to the vast universe you've created. Lord, I pray that you would bless these, your people, Thank you for your word. Thank you for this creation history. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.